finally, that day came when she had to establish her own domain, but over his dominion, she had no reign. So one set out in pursuit of a higher fate and joined with two to form the third triumvirate. Journeys of departure branching into the unknown, but on these mics, this triad has found its home. In one accord, three she's offer you their counsel. Raise your frequencies to the Empress High Council. Great day, queens and kings, and welcome to the Empress High Council. Thank you for tuning in, and don't forget to hit the like, subscribe, and share button. Great day, royal family. Welcome, queens and kings, and thank you for tuning in to the Empress High Council. Don't forget to hit the like, subscribe, and share button. You can follow us at Try Empress on IG and Twitter, or you can just Google Empress High Council. We're everywhere. This is the alchemist coming to you on the frequency of energy to transmute your social and financial currency into abundance. Welcome to Episode 8. Our roundtable talks are going to be on Ask the Alchemist. But first, as you know, let me set the table. And this table has to be set with a disclaimer tonight. This is Grown Folks Talk, y'all. We're about to get down to the dollars and cents. Disclaimer. The information contained herein is for generalized informational and educational purposes only and does not constitute investment, financial, tax, legal, or other professional advice in any subject matter. This is not a substitute for professional business advice. Therefore, seek such advice in connection with any specific situation as necessary. The views and opinions of the parties expressed herein represent the opinion of the speaker or participant, as the case may be, and do not necessarily represent the views, opinions, and or judgments of any company or companies we are affiliated with or any of its subsidiaries or divisions. The Empress High Council or its affiliates makes no representation as to and are not responsible for the accuracy, timeliness, completeness, or reliability of any such opinion, advice, or statements made herein. We would like to thank our listeners for calling in with their questions. Thank you so much, listeners. So our first question. Okay, I have a question for you. How do I maintain my personal finances alongside with the startup finances. Long story short, I'm sort of running out of personal money. And so I would want to try to figure out how the business can support me financially, personally financially. Like I still have to pay my mortgage. I still have to pay my phone bill. I still have other things that I need to take care of. But if I'm putting most of the money into the business, how do I extract enough to be able to survive without jeopardizing the business? Does that make sense? Yes, that makes a lot of sense. So the question is, how do I maintain my personal finances alongside with startup finances? The person is running out of personal money. And the question is how the business can support their personal financial responsibilities. They're putting most of their proceeds into the business, and they would like to know exactly how they're going to be able to have enough to personally finance their own lifestyle without jeopardizing their business. Now, this is a very normal question. I get this question all the time. This normally happens when you allocate all of your resources to your business and kind of forget about yourself in the beginning. 
Your business is your beautiful, well-planned, brand-new baby. You have all these hopes and dreams for your business. You know it's going to work and bring in a return. The problem is that returns and profits are two different things. Most people don't know that. Returns and profits are two different things. So you pour more into your business just to get a larger return. But it's still not profits. After a while, you see your savings dwindling and a dent in your personal finances, which affects your financial responsibilities. The first thing to look at is how is your business established? Is it an LLC, a sole proprietorship, a DBA, a partnership? Do you actually have a separate bank account for your business? Was your seed money or your startup funds deposited in that separate bank account? Have you been operating out of that business account to fund your business needs as well as to receive payments. There's a rule, and it's a very important business rule, and it's been passed down from our dear old uncle. We know who that is, and that is no co-mingling of funds. It's a business 101 rule. Once this happens, you begin to cross lines of personal and business assets, and that can lead to all kinds of confusion and financial responsibilities. The other thing is that people tend to start businesses without a very solid business plan, which equates to a financial plan. A solid business plan will aid you in knowing if you're meeting your financial benchmarks or if your sales or advertising strategies need to change. My personal remedy for this caller is make sure you have an account set up separate and apart from your business. This will allow you to have an allocation of funds for your personal financial responsibilities, which should be allocated for at least one year. If you are starting a new business in your business startup, you should have personal assets saved for one year liquid cash, personal liquid cash assets saved for one year to take care of your personal financial responsibilities and a separate account for your business with your seed money. Second, your business must pay you. You need to identify what percentage of the proceeds you're going to allocate to yourself, whether it's 35%, 40%, 50%, etc. And you need to write yourself a check from that business account. The biggest mistake people make in business is forgetting that they are still an employee. Although you work for yourself, you are still working. Do not work for nothing just because it's your business. Remember in business, you have two types of money. You have seed money, that's the money you start with, and you have pro-seed money. That's the fruits of your labor. Pay yourself. In addition, we're closing out on the end of the year. Make sure you have a great tax professional that will go over all of your business exemptions. Gas, toll, cell phone, cable, part of your home or apartment, rent, products, your internet, technology that you've purchased for your business, advertising, paper, pens, pencils, even those business lunches and dinners where you spoke to your potential investors about your business, hashtag friends. You want to make sure that those are all business expenses so that you could write that off against your business. This is actual money after tax dollars that you are spending to promote your business. And you want to make sure that you get that back or that you are credited for that. But the one thing that you need to do is make sure that your business pays you and you need to have your business set up in a standard business format and you do not need to commingle your funds between your business and your personal funds. You need to have two separate accounts. Once you start getting paid in your business, you need to allocate a certain amount of that money to yourself. You need to write yourself a check because then that will also let you know 
what changes, what's the delta that needs to happen in your business if you're seeing that your business is not being able to bring in the income that you expected. Caller, I hope this was helpful. Now, that's assuming that the caller is making money on the business. So if they have seed money and that money is just to put into the startup of the business, but the business isn't actually reaping any profits yet because some businesses take longer to pull off than others. And meanwhile, the finances on the personal side are dwindling. How do you balance that as well? Well, in business, you really don't have a business if you're not making any money from it. It's a hobby. Everyone wants to call something a business, right? A business, you're making money, you're getting income, there's proceeds coming in. At the same time, you are also paying taxes. That's how you know that you have a real business. There's going to be a tax liability. Gotcha. There's no tax liability if you're not getting any money in. Next caller. I have a question about taxes. When we were gainfully employed, our employers took it upon themselves to deduct the taxes from our checks. And depending on the amount of exemptions that we claimed each pay period, they would take out more than the taxes owed so we can reconcile it at the end of April with the IRS and the state. How do we, as freelancers, manage the payment of taxes, especially considering once we start our businesses, the profits may be slow to come in. And once the business picks up, how should we be paying taxes on a quarterly or monthly or yearly basis? That's a great question. And a lot of businesses, once they start making money, they ask that question. In the beginning, most people pay their taxes yearly, and that's because they're not making as much money. So they will pay their taxes yearly. I must have a disclosure for this. I am not supposed to give tax advice. I am not a legal licensed CPA, and therefore you should consult with a licensed tax professional. However, most businesses do pay their taxes yearly when they start out at first. And once they start to make a significant amount of income, it's best to pay it quarterly. It's just easier on yourself to pay it quarterly. I know a couple of businesses and they actually pay quarterly taxes. And what percentage would you advise that they pay yearly and quarterly? Yearly, it'll be based on how much you brought in, okay, minus your exemptions. And then quarterly, your tax professional will be able to let you know based on how much you're making per quarter and what your anticipated or estimated income will be for the year. Next caller. This question is for Alchemist. What is the difference between a Roth IRA and the regular 401k, or is there even a difference? Great question. There's a major difference between a Roth IRA and a 401k. A 401k, you can only participate in a 401k if you are working and it's an employer-sponsored plan. So if you have a job, you're able to participate in your employer-sponsored 401k if they offer it, and the employer-sponsored 401k offers some tax advantages to you. So what happens is... If you want to invest $1,000 out of your paycheck a month, you'll invest $1,000 out of your paycheck a month. However, your rate that you will be taxed on on your paycheck will go down. It'll be less. So you get to save more money. So instead of giving your money to Uncle Sam, you actually get to keep it to yourself and keep it in your nest egg. So you get to build an untaxable nest egg, and then it's tax deferred. So after you retire, based on how the markets did or whatever you were invested in. You can take it all out, but you take portions of it out as needed to fund your lifestyle, and then you'll be taxed later. 
the other question is the Roth IRA. The Roth IRA, anyone could participate in a Roth IRA, and a Roth IRA is after-tax dollars. So that same $1,000 that you may want to invest every month, instead of investing in a company-sponsored 401k plan, it will actually invest it straight out of your paycheck. So now you're already taxed on this $1,000, and now you want to put money in a Roth IRA, you're able to put the money in a Roth IRA. So that's the difference between a Roth IRA and a 401k. Great question. I suggest my remedy is to make sure you have both. Next caller. This is for the alchemists. I have a lot of insurance agents coming at me with whole life, universal life, term life. Do you want to end your life? What policy is best for a young man like me that likes to live on the edge? Well, I hear you. I have a whole lot of insurance agents coming after me. As soon as I tell them I have a license, they won't even stop. So this is a great question. And um, I believe that if you're living on the edge, you want to make sure that you have a insurance policy that is going to cover expenses, not only for your death, but expenses to the people that you love for the rest of their life. So a policy for maybe like a half a million dollars, $200,000, 250 something like that, it can go up a million dollars. Now, the difference between whole life and the difference between term life, whole life is universal life, all those different other life policies that don't have the word term in front of it. The difference is whole life is normally about three times the cost of a term policy. Whole life actually has a term policy and a savings plan nestled into one. Now, here's the thing, what I normally tell people. Would you ever save your money in your coffin? If not, why would you buy a whole life policy. It's actually like saving your money in your coffin, and you really can't take it with you when you die. <laughs> so the thing about it is that savings money that you save on the tail end of that whole life policy, because one side is a term, the other side is a savings plan, you don't know where the money is being saved at, you have no control over where it's being saved at, you have no control over the interest rate, you have no control over the terms of the savings agreement. So at that point, I would say, that's where you should just probably have a term policy. The thing about the whole life policy is for your whole entire life. You will be paying this policy for your whole life. It used to be up until age 100. Now, being that we're living longer, the policy terms have gone, some of them have gone up to age 121. Wow. Who's going to live to 121, really? So they want you to pay this for your whole entire life. A term life policy is for a term. It's like car insurance. OK, or cell phone insurance or homeowners insurance. You pay for it for as long as you need it and as long as you have it. So there's a term. There's a 30 year term, 10, 20, 30 year term. And normally it's about two and a half times less than whole life. So for an example, you'll have a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar term policy. Let's talk about a term policy for an average 30 year old. Doesn't drink. Don't smoke. Don't live on the edge, okay? <laughs> and they have a term policy that may cost them $44 a month for $250,000. Then we have that same person, same conditions exist, and they take a whole life policy for the same amount. That whole life policy will probably cost them $150 a month. So it's either $150 a month or you know, $46 a month. So now what are you going to do with that extra $104?
you can save that on your own. Put that in a mutual fund. Put that money somewhere and save it for yourself. You don't need an insurance company to tell you how to save your money that they're not going to give you anyway. Here's the other thing with a whole life policy. Say you have all this cash in your whole life policy. You decide to take a whole life policy. You was paying it out your whole entire life so far. You're 70 years old and you take a $25,000 loan out of this whole life policy. Say you have a $75,000 policy. So you took $25,000 out because they told you you have money. So now your policy is really valued at $100,000, but it's not really valued at $100,000 because you only have a $75,000 policy. So what happens to that extra $25,000 that you put in there that they told you that you could borrow? So you borrow it. Now, God forbid, something happens to you and you pass away. Guess what? Your family doesn't get that $75,000. They only get $50,000 because you borrowed the twenty five, But that was your own money. So now your family got penalized because you borrowed your own money and they told you that there was a savings option in there for you. Why were you saving this money all this time if you're going to borrow it and the insurance company is going to keep it at the end of the day? They take that from your family. Well, another thing I want to touch on policies really quickly and one of the reasons why I actually got my life insurance license, this has happened to me three times, one with a family member, two times with two great friends. Everyone has all these professional jobs. One was a doctor, another one was a social worker, and another one was a bus driver. Bus driver for New York. I don't want to, yeah, a bus driver for New York. Actually, they all been on their jobs for over 15 years, never had any personal life insurance outside of their jobs, went on disability, and actually passed away. So now you've been working at this job 15 years. You've had all this insurance all this time. You go on disability. You pass away. You have your friends and your family go to the job and be like, hey, they have insurance with you. And be like, no, 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 no. Once you go on disability, you lose your life insurance at your job. So now you're disabled which means that you're uninsurable from anyone else wow. and you don't have any life insurance to protect your family. So it's always best to make sure that you actually have your own policy that you control. And that's why a lot of times I tell people, well, just get a term. Just get a term policy because you'll have more for less. Great question. Next caller. If you're a business owner or entrepreneur, what are the best retirement options for you? Well, that's a great question. There are a ton of retirement plans for business owners and entrepreneurs. You have the Roth IRA. You have the traditional IRA. You have the SEP IRA, which is my favorite. I'm going to really go into that one. And then you have the solo 401k, and you have the simple IRA. Now, what I love most is the SEP IRA. The SEP IRA, no one really ever talks about it. But the SEP IRA is a way for you to be able to invest up to 25% of your income into an IRA. So that means you take your money, you throw it into your future, and it's a tax break off of your taxes. And you can every year invest up to $52,000. Wow. So basically for small business or business owners, this is great for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. As long as they don't have any employees. Mm. As long as they don't have any employees. This is for business owners who do not have employees. Gotcha. Okay. I love the SEP IRA. I make sure that I put at least about $10,000 in my SEP IRA every year 
just so I can actually offset and balance my taxes. And you can Google from nine ways to Sunday the best. (laughs) You can Google from nine ways to Sunday the best retirement plans for business owners and all these other retirement plans that come up. You got to keep going and going and going and going and going until you find the SEP IRA. No one wants to talk about it. No one wants to tell you about the tax benefit of it. As a business owner, you want to protect yourself from taxation, inflation, and market fluctuation. Mm -hmm. So if there's a tax strategy as a business owner, then you want to make sure that you actually know what that strategy is and you employ it into your business. You get to keep more of your money. You either keep it now or later. Families, too. There are tax strategies out there for families right now, and they don't even know about it. Now, I'm not a tax professional. I'm an investment professional, but there are investments out there that can aid you and assist you in making sure that you're protected against taxation, market fluctuation, and, you know, just a couple of things. So, great question. Love it. Next caller. This question is for the alchemist. I'm aware I have very bad spending habit. What's the best advice for setting a budget and sticking to it? That's a great question. I used to be like that. I think I used to be like that. I'm not too sure. (laughs) I'm not too sure. Maybe I thought I was like that, but I had the strategy down packed. So that's a great question. So here was my strategy back in the day. My strategy was I went to the bank and I got 100 singles and I put them in my wallet. And I left all my credit cards home. My bank card stayed home. Everything stayed home. And I would tell you to actually put them in a Ziploc bag put some water in them, and put them in the freezer. That's what most people will tell you to do because you have to defrost it, and it gives you a time to defrost your thinking when you need to. When you say, you know what, I I need that card right now. I'm watching something on whatever channel. I need to buy it now, those late-night infomercials or whatever the case may be. But my thing is I only carried $100 with me, and that $100 had to last me for at least a week and a half to two weeks. I made that $100 stretch. There's something to look in your wallet. See, the reason why people have a lot of bad spending habits right now is because they don't see cash anymore. Correct. Right. It's that card, that card, <laughs> that card. So they don't have a relationship with the card. Most people have a relationship with your money. When you're touching money, you look at me, you're like, oh, money feel good. It look good. you be like, oh, I'm, I'm spending too much money. You know, so you have a relationship with actual cash. You don't have a relationship with that card. So you wind up just spend, 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 spend. Leave that card home. Put it in a Ziploc bag, put some water in there, put it in the freezer, make sure you get $100 cash out of the bank, and that's what you're going to spend for the next two weeks. And that's it. Love that. I love that, too. I'm about to do that. Next caller. Good evening, afternoon. This is for the alchemist. How can I get a higher interest rate on my savings account? Wow. That's a real question. That's a magical question. <laughs> it's a magical question. That's everyone's question. Pretty much. Here's the thing. Banks are competitive. And if one bank offer a 1.2%, the other bank is going to offer a 1.2% or 1.21%. They're not even going to go up to a 1.25%. So banks are extremely competitive. So you're talking about interest rates. So that means you're talking about a bank. You're talking about savings. In order to be competitive and to make a return on your money, 
your money needs to be invested in mutual fund vehicles or invested in the market. Even though past performance is not indicative of future gains, but you want to actually start investing your money in the global economy. Yes. Okay. And the first place you want to start with is looking at your 401k because uh, most people are investing every paycheck and they don't even know what they're investing in that's right and they say how'd you pick your investment options i don't know i saw what jill bob you know or whoever was doing and i copied off of them or i just said eeny meeny miny mo and that's how i picked my investments i read a name it looked good but that's a very magical question it's a question that everybody wants to know the question cannot be answered by putting your money in a savings or checking account makes perfect sense thank you for calling next caller what do you recommend as uh, decent savings with each paycheck? I was told, you know, 10%, you know, that you pay yourself 10% of your paycheck before doing anything else. Or is that you save 10% of your paycheck before doing anything else? What percentage do you recommend that should be put aside for savings and to also pay yourself? Wow, that's a great question. Thank you for calling in with that. I'm trying to think of a saying that I actually heard. I believe it was said that middle class people pay their bills and then they save what they have left. Wealthy people actually identify how much they are going to save first and then they allocate the rest to their financial responsibilities. So that's a great question. I'm glad that you're elevating yourself to be able to move your mindset to an entirely different level when it comes to making sure that you are first. Now, the amount of money that you should actually set aside is, most people say, on a minimum, 15%. Mm -hmm. On a minimum, 15%. That does not neglect you saving in your company-sponsored, if you have one, 401k plan. I'm going to always advocate for a 401k plan because most people don't know how to save for long term and most people are not invested in the market. So if you don't know too much about the market, not invested in the market, make sure you're participating in your company-sponsored retirement plan. Now, back to your question is, start out with 15%. That's the bare minimum. If you know that you can do more than 15%, by all means, do more than 15%. At one point, I was doing 45% of my paycheck. I drove my car. My car only got $40 worth of gas every paycheck. Wow. Okay? When that gas ran out that car, that car stayed parked where it was, and it had to get gas the next paycheck. <laughs> that was it. That makes sense. Okay? And that was not a part of my $100. That was just for the car. Right. Everything else went into my savings. Wow. My rent got paid. I did not have cable at the time. You understand what I'm saying? I was like, what do I need to watch TV for? I need to be reading a book or something like that. I made sure that there was food, you know, in my place, and I took my breakfast and my lunch to work. But everything else, I saved everything else. So the rule of thumb on a bare minimum is 15%. If you can do more, you do more. And if you feel like you could do more, go straight to 25. Next caller. If your credit is just under 600 and you're working towards paying off debt to the point where the majority of your debt will be paid off, let's say, in the next three months and you're looking to buy a home in the next eight to nine months is it something that's actually doable let's say you have 
ten, fifteen thousand dollars saved up. You don't really have much money. Your credit isn't great, but you know you need to get a house within a certain time frame. Do I qualify for an FHA loan? What do you advise? That's a great question. That's the American dream. Everyone wants to purchase a home. And I think that you've done a great job by saving ten to $15,000 thus far. And you have a long-term goal. Well, it's not really. It's a short-term goal. Long-term goals are normally more than a year, 12 months or more is a long-term goal. So you have a short-term goal of being in a home in eight to nine months, and your debt is going to be paid off in the next three months. Here's the rule of thumb to debt that a lot of people do not understand. You need to keep your debt-to-equity ratio below 30%. And I tell people, if you have to have debt, keep it at most 28%, which means if you actually have a credit card, say you got five credit cards, each credit card you only have $200 spending limit on each credit card, okay? Now that means that you have $1,000 in equity. Now... How much can you spend to keep your credit up? You can only spend 280 of that $1,000 and make sure you pay your credit card off at the end of the month or whenever it's due. Make more than the minimum payments always. Here's the thing. That will definitely, every month, increase your credit score drastically. Then in addition to that, here's what I want you to look at the flip side of that. If you did that for five months and you saw your credit go up now you go and you spend four hundred dollars of that thousand dollars your credit will go down 15 percent or more just like that so guys you have to remember to keep your debt when it comes to your credit cards all of them combined at most 28 percent now you want to know so your credit is going to be paid off in three months you have eight months to buy this home Creditors, the banks, they want to see that you can pay your bills and that you can maintain. So now you have to charge a little something and make sure you pay it off every month to help increase and maintain your credit score because we don't want to have any stagnation in that. Now, I'm not saying go out there and blow it. You can buy some deodorant. You understand what I'm saying? You can go put $10 worth of gas. Make sure you pay it off before time, you could just go right home and send a check immediately to your credit provider. So now when it comes to the home in eight to nine months, you have to do some work on your credit score. You're going to make sure you pay all your cards off to zero, and you're going to make sure you use your cards a minimum of 10%, okay? And you're going to pay that off every month. I'm not even going to say minimum. I'm going to say maximum of 10%. So if you have a credit card and you have a $200 limit on that credit card, I'm going to keep the numbers low, which I know you don't have a $200 limit on that credit card. It might be like $5,000, lady, okay? <laughs> but if you have a credit card, you have a $200 limit on that credit card, what you want to do is make sure you only spend $20, 10%. $20, you go home, you sign on to your banking online account, and you forward the $20 to them folks immediately. Today, the next day, give yourself an alert whatever the case may be. But you want to increase your credit on a monthly basis. Now, when it comes to the FHA loan, I can't say if you're qualified or not. That is for the underwriter to determine because there may be some other factors, income, where you work, how many hours you work, you know, stuff like that. There may be some other factors. However, here's what I will recommend. I will recommend that you find one of those banks that have that first-time home buyers program, participate in that first-time home buyers program, 
for about, you know, eight to nine months, whatever it is that they do, and make sure you get your seven to ten thousand dollars that they're giving away to people from that first time home buyers program. So that's a way to increase your ten to fifteen thousand dollars, another seven to ten thousand dollars, and somehow get your footing in kind of like almost guaranteed to get a mortgage from that particular institution. Should she look at her pension as well to draw money from that? If she has a pension, she actually can because as a first-time home buyer, you can withdraw money from your retirement plan without a penalty, okay? So you can withdraw money without a penalty. However, there is a tax liability at yes. the end of the day. Oh. Yes, there is. Okay? Yeah. Our dear old uncle, he's not playing. Oh. He's going to get his money. Because you're not going to think that you're going to invest this money tax-free, take it out, buy your home. And Uncle Sam was like, wait a minute, I've been bamboozled here. So he's going to get his hut. I do suggest that with that ten dollars to $15,000, i save, keep saving, make sure you get that debt paid off. Like you said, you're going to be debt-free in three months, and being debt-free is a wonderful thing. You also want to make sure you continue to utilize your cards. You want to stay at at least a 10% utilization you want to make sure you pay before time. Don't even wait to on time. And you want to make sure you get yourself involved with one of those first-time home buyers programs. Next question. My son is eight years old and living paycheck to paycheck, it's hard to save. I'm trying to incorporate a savings plan on my own to put aside, even if it's $20 a paycheck, put aside something every month just towards his tuition. And at eight years old, so another 10 years, he will be in college. Is this realistic? Like, are there school accounts, you know, tuition accounts, tuition plans where I can, you know, put my money towards that, where I will get a better return when it is time for him to attend college? That's a great question. And that will be our last question for the evening. But that is a fantastic question. Because of my licenses and affiliations, I cannot give you a direct answer on who you can actually go to or, or where you can save your money at. But I can tell you a little bit about my experience. Now, I have, what, 18, 19 nieces and nephews. Mm -hmm. So instead of giving them birthday gifts every year, what I did from the time, and especially my niece, I'm going to use my niece because she just uh, went away to college. I actually gave her $25 every Christmas and every birthday up until she was 14 years old. And then after 14, it went up to kind of like $50, though, because I think to age eight, and then I kind of upped it to $50. So it, was, so it was $100 a year, actually. And I did that from age two. By age eight, I started doing $50, so that was only $100 a year. And then, now, this is not for you because you said you wanted to save monthly. I'm just telling you what I did yearly. I'm going to tell you what the return was. And I saved it in the New York Saves 529 College mm -hmm. Savings Plan, and I got a dollar-for-dollar dollar state tax write-off. So that was tax savings for me while I kept my money in the family. Right. Now, I only invested about $900 in this account. When my niece got ready to go to school, it was $5,000. We were so grateful and thankful for that investment. So that was from age 2 to age 18 years old, wow. from a $900 investment with only $25 here, $50 there, twice a year. 
So I utilize the New York State 529 College Savings Plan. However, you can do what you want, but that was my own personal experience that I'm sharing with you because I cannot sell away and I'm not supposed to give advice on exactly what plans to go in, but I can tell you what I have used myself. Wow, this was a great episode. I think it was. I think this is something that the folks needed. I didn't know we had yes. so many callers, though. The lines are still lit. Yeah, still lit. <laughs> I mean, and although we couldn't get to everyone today, we will, because the response for this show has been great, we will revisit it again. Absolutely, absolutely. We definitely have to revisit this again. I actually enjoyed it. So now we're going to wrap up, though, guys. It was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for calling in and for tuning in to the Empress High Council. Don't forget to hit the like, subscribe, and share button. And don't forget that you can find us on Try Empress at IG and Twitter, right? Try Empress at IG and Twitter? Yeah, at Try Empress on IG and Twitter. <laughs> uh, at, uh, yeah, see, see, y'all got me thinking. See, normally I don't have to come in here and think. Now I gotta be thinking and doing math in my head and remembering all this $52,000 questions and stuff like that. But guys, listen, it was a pleasure. We're gonna leave you guys with our last quote. Don't, don't, don't take, take swimming, swimming lessons, lessons from, from drowning, drowning people. people. Boom.